This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut Babette. Andy and I would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from whose land we are broadcasting at 3CR and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Climate Action Show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne on the Community Radio Network and Podcast which can be found on the internet and at 3cr.org.au. Make sure to share the show if you like what you hear. My name is Carly and my guest today is Peter Nightingale. Peter is a doctor entering specialist GP training in 2022 and is a climate activist with Healthy Futures. Peter grew up in Shepparton and has lived in Melbourne for the last 10 years. Peter, thank you so much for joining us. No worries, Carly. How are you going today? Yeah, very good, thanks. It's a bit of a muggy old spring day in in Melbourne here, but uh, yeah, it's nice for a picnic. Uh, Well, so I'm taking... Your picnic time. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. All completed. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, firstly, can you please let our listeners know about Healthy Futures? You know, what is it? How do you all get to come together? Yeah, Healthy Futures is a interesting little motley crew of people, really. It's, um, uh, I suppose we're linked by the fact that we're all in healthcare in some way or other. Um, and... It started about ten years ago by um, a friend of mine, Kate, who who went to who I went to university with, um, and her husband, uh, Harry. Uh, they've been really interested in, in, in climate change stuff for for a long time, and decided to kind of um, form this little group based in Melbourne, and, and really kind of extended the invite really to any kind of healthcare worker that would be interested in this space as well. I've only become involved in it in the last uh, two three years. Um, but it's nice because you get this interesting, diverse kind of little group of people. There's a whole range of uh, ages, genders, jobs. And um, the other thing that really struck me was um, our backgrounds and our reason for getting into it in the first place is really different, um, which is perhaps not really something I, I expected, but it makes it um, um, very easy to be get to become more engrossed in it once you hear that there's so many different motivations behind people wanting to take action. Mm, so what was your personal motivation for wanting to take action? Yeah, I I suppose I always had a little bit of an interest in it, even from high school, it was being talked about in geography class and things, you know, it was like the, the world is changing. Um, but that's, I mean, going back into like the, you know, the noughties, um, yonks ago. And then uh, <laughs> nothing really happened and I suppose like a lot of people I was sympathetic to the ideas of climate change but never really into it enough to to do something about it and um, two summers ago the the bushfires I I treated some people that had um, had smoke related uh, respiratory issues Um, I myself had uh, asthma problems that kind of had been docile since childhood like a lot of people's asthma and then uh, flared up again Um, and it suddenly just hit me that all of these kind of things that have been hypothetically talked about are, are actually here already. And we're, we're just seeing it unfold in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 
I suppose I, I was lucky in that I had a personal connection, Kate. And so it was as simple as a, uh, a quick message to say hello. And it just kind of unfolded from there. Um, I don't know what your experience has been, Carly, but I, I find that it's, it, it makes me a whole lot less anxious about climate change once you meet people who can actually um, tell you all the things they've been doing and, and, and the ways in which it's helped. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's nice having that community as well. Okay, we're all engaged. We're all worried, but we, we all see there's a clear path forward and we've all got a role to play. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Um, I'd like to get into a bit of that. So you mentioned the bushfire related illnesses that had popped up. I guess, what are some other climate related things that impact human physical health that may not be common knowledge? Yeah, this has been something that's been fairly well studied and there's more and more stuff coming out, especially in the last few years. Um, I remember did, uh, seeing even back in 2009, um, there's a very famous, very well-respected medical journal called The Lancet. And The Lancet, even back in 2009, was saying that climate change is definitely going to be the biggest global health emergency. So, I mean, we're going back 12 years ago from that. And, you know, um, it's been well understood that Therefore, climate change is not just a risk to the planet, but also to, to individuals' health as well. What we've been able to see, especially from things like the bushfires, is that respiratory illness is going to be on the up, both directly from smoke in, in everyday people that have normal lungs, otherwise, people that already have underlying respiratory issues, um, emphysema um, or, or asthma um, are, are going to be at even higher risk and problems from that. And of course, that includes some of the most vulnerable people, you know, um, that, that we live with, um, you know, the elderly, children. Um, we're also seeing directly, I think, uh, especially in, in some of the just an increase in frequency of hot days and, and, and heat waves. Um, Canada just in, in July had a, a really bad heat wave, which was quite deadly, killed a lot of people. And that's just kind of increase in frequency. Um, uh, and whatever damage Australia uh, cops, I think you're going to see it even worse in, in countries that, you know, um, can't afford the same, you know, air conditioning and shelter and things like that. Um, so in terms of a link to physical health, I think we're going to see, unfortunately, not just an um, impact upon individuals, but you're going to see an unfair impact on individuals that are already disadvantaged. Absolutely. When you said The Lancet in 2009 posted that paper, that blew my mind because I think for me as a psychologist only in the last couple of years have the links between physical health and climate change become more apparent to me in my you know, profession. So that that's striking. Yeah, yeah. The other one that I, I didn't actually know about until recently was um, a link in premature births to bushfire smoke exposure. And um, I, I don't do, do much women's health, so I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but um, there's a pretty clear link there now. And um, what is evident is that any premature birth um, is associated with higher risks and, of course, of, of developmental problems. Um, so that just seems inevitable. That is just something we're going to have to deal with going forward. And there is a huge um, 
apart from just the impact upon the individuals themselves, the financial costs that we are going to face from looking after everyone that have these issues, in, in some cases, if it's a developmental issue, this will be issues that you know we as a society have to pay for um, throughout their whole lives. Mm. And I think when people think of hot days or, you know, bushfire smoke, they think, well, I can just shut my windows. I can just keep my air con on all the time. But mm. you can't really do that because, you know, you have to, for most part, go outside to either care or go to work or something go in your car and like you said while this does impact everyone it will impact those who um, aren't the most financially secure or uh, poorer countries much more disproportionately than you know the average Australian. Yeah I wonder if you will start to see you know GPs and things um, actually start to incorporate very soon a kind of a heat wave management plan, especially for the elderly patients that are more vulnerable to becoming dehydrated, to being isolated, to being uh, to collapsing um, mm. in, in heat waves. I mean, it's it's going to be a uh, you know dozens of days that are going to be over forty degrees soon, and you know that's that's such a risk for them each each time that happens, um, and it's going to become more and more frequent. And I I, I suppose um, even thinking of my own grandma, you know. Um, the, the the pension only stretches so far, right? I, I'm not sure that I'd, if I was in her position, I would want to be paying for the aircon, you know, 24-7. Absolutely, yeah. And so then what kind of quality of life do people have? And... Yeah. Have you, um, in, in your practice as a psychologist, had much contact with people who've brought up, um, I think they call it eco-anxiety? Yes. Um, more and more, I'm, I work predominantly now with young people and young people are very very anxious about it because they know that it's coming and things can be done but the adults who can make decisions aren't really doing enough so it's kind of like a car crash they can see waiting to happen it's it's quite it's challenging yeah yeah Mm. i found it very um ironic i suppose and you know almost funny in a dark way uh you know when um Greta Thunberg last year and kind of the year before was rising to, to prominence um, with her activism, but was being dismissed by mm. people like Donald Trump as, you know, being a bit histrionic and a bit, um, you know, just a, a bit bad tempered and, and just. Teenage not... drop. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the, there's the, um, the exact kind of representation of everything that's wrong in the world is someone trying to do something about it. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and being so clearly like logical and, and, and evidence based in what she's saying and, and the very the very opposite of being that emotional teenage girl that he was making her out to be. And yeah. Yet, who who is it that's actually got the decision making power here? Yeah, the adults who are just like, Oh, there's a few more bucks to be made, so hang on for a yeah. few years. Yep. <laughs> yep. What was that like for you, I guess, um, studying and growing up in a rural area? You know, you mentioned that when you were in high school that, you know, people were talking about climate change. Was this something in your community that, you know, you engaged with or what is it like in Shep right now? Yeah. Shep, I suppose, going back to when I was in high school 15 years ago, it wasn't very commonly talked about then. I don't think it would have been, I suppose, in many places in Australia. But there was evidence of some change already there was a bit of a change in in the water availability there was um pretty significant drought around that time as 
as well. And also the salt table was rising. That was more linked, I think, to deforestation or, or at, le at least um, clearing, over clearing for, for farms. So that was a more direct uh, link to, to at least land change, um, if not climate change. But in terms of thinking big picture about policy change and where are we actually going with this, not very prominent back then. Um, nowadays, it's tricky. I think it's harder for rural populations like Shep. You know, the whole um, the whole economy is based on farming, and everyone's either farmer themselves, or you know, you got mates who are farmers. And um, if you're an, an MP, you know, you're going to be elected on on the I suppose on the premise of of protecting their livelihoods. Fair enough. Um, that makes it hard, though, of course, if what is traditionally understood by farmers is not compatible with, you know, reducing emissions to where they need to be. Um, so there's a real conflict of values there. And given the, the strain that farmers are under, especially financially recently, you know, it's, it's oh. a, such a delicate issue. Um, and I can completely understand why any politician would would err on the side of going with what the majority want here. For sure. And that makes it really hard as well, I think. It's that whole short-term um, pain versus long-term gain. When you are talking about livelihoods and money and, you know, farms that can be generational, it's mm. it's such a big thing. But it's that, um, that real long-term support is what's so needed. Yeah, and I really don't know what the future is here either. Um, the debate, the, I, I suppose the one insight that I, I think has been true the last 15 years uh, from my perspective as someone who grew up in the country and now lives in the city is that it's just a different debate. The conversation mm. around what to do is different and the factors that go into these decisions are just different. Um, the way people talk on the street to each other is 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 not like what they do in the city. Um and I think also the they will probably feel that, that the effects of this faster than than city folk, mm. um, with the exception perhaps of heat waves. Heat waves are usually uh, more prominent in the city with more concrete and things to hold in the heat. But um, I, I think I worry that um, uh, that it'll be country folk with more to lose financially in the short term, um, but also they'll be seeing seen the impacts of it in, in their health in the short term much more than city folk will as well mm. and i guess you know what what about i guess climate change concerns you most as a doctor yeah i think it's one of the justifications i had with myself to getting into healthy futures is i thought that well at the end of the day the point of a tertiary education in general and certainly medicine is you get the privilege really of being able to understand what it is to read and what is to take on information and work out what is actually true and it's it's not something that's really inherently makes a whole lot of sense to us until you've kind of had the luck or the privilege to be able to access that kind of teaching you know so i thought well if, if i've got if I've been taught, you know, how to read data, read tables, read graphs, and to know the implications and predict 
the future somewhat based on the data that's already come in, I thought I probably should really not take that for granted. And I, I realized that the more and more I read, the data was way worse than I realized. So I think, uh, I'm taking a while to get to the answer to your question, but I think like because I'm a doctor, I think the, the, the relevance here to climate change is I just saw this data and actually mm. felt like it was being underrepresented in the media in terms of the urgency. And um, I think it was in the knowledge of that, I felt like I couldn't really not take any action. Mm. So I guess everything about it concerns you. And I think it can, it sounds like it concerns you most because people still don't know how bad it's going to get. Yeah. I, I, there is that barrier to, to action as well. Um, it, it's probably, I mean, you could really, really take it to any issue in society, couldn't you? Um, mm. You know, um, a, a lot of our friends, I'm sure you're the same, Carly, like a lot of our friends talk about it and have that kind of underlying worry. But in terms of what you do with that is really hard and people are busy with their own lives and everything can be all consuming, especially the last couple of years with COVID and, you know, how you actually convert that into, into doing something about it is, um, is, is something a lot of people struggle to know how to start with. And um, it's been really heartening to me to see, um, I think it's about 80% now of Australians on latest surveys actually want a lot more done on climate change. Mm. Um, I mean, the tide is turning. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, when, you know, you've got that pe- people who are alarmed and they know it's bad and then just like you said, that additional step to actually putting the time, the energy, the, all those resources that are so sparse in everyday living, it, it is hard. Yeah, I don't – I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Uh, I think probably 15 years ago that my own barrier to, to getting into it would have been – this silly perception that, you know, um, to be a climate activist meant to join Greenpeace, to have some dreadlocks, to have a, <laughs> you know, a bong sitting I, on my table. And I can see you have neither right now. <laughs> I, make sure, I, I made sure I moved the bong out before the uh, started. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, I mean, now it's, of course, it's just, I mean, I, I think anyway, my own perception is that it's, it's changed. I think to be a climate activist now is really just to be talking common sense uh yeah in, in proportion to the to the evidence that's there um and i really like that it's a change now in, in vibe to being very much an everyday person can can get involved now yeah I, exactly there's room for everyone everyone's welcome we need every single one of you yeah yeah one of the nice things about healthy futures actually has been that it's a small group and, and none of us really know what we're doing, you know, like we're sort of might train as a yeah, psychologist or you know, radiographer or doctor, but you know, like I don't have any training in political advocacy in, in, in writing letters you know, per se, nothing like that. We, we kind of make it up as we go along, mm. but it's all based on what we understand to be needed, you know, based on evidence that has been done. And, um, it's been heartening to see that it's actually had some effects um, and it makes me more, more, more motivated, I think, to talk to people and say, well, you can make a difference. Um, I've, I've seen healthy futures make much more of a dent in things than I, I really would have expected for a little, you know, ragtag team. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And um, if we could speak to some recent campaigns. So I came across you in the recent AGL campaign. Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. We, in, we, we as Healthy Futures is just a small group. Let, let's say like you know, perhaps a, a dozen people or so at any one time in, involved. And we thought, well, let's try and pick a particular project that, that seems like it will have some, you know, enough bang for a buck, our buck being quite small. And yet we've, we found that um, AGL, the energy company, are just terrible for the environment. Essentially, they emit, uh, emit more, um, you know, more emissions over double, I think, what the next company is. And I think it's like 8% of, of, of the country's actual emissions. It's, it's really huge Staggering. numbers. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something I knew about until recently. And um, if the, the more you delve into it, the more it, it was kind of gobsmacking. They um, uh, have had to write off over $2 billion of, from their company's worth in recent times with these stranded assets. You know, we all know that renewables are the future, but they seem to be clinging on to the past a bit and the value of, of what they're doing is, is going right down. So from a climate change or a financial perspective, you know, whatever you want to pick, it just seemed like they're stuck in the past and they had a, a big AGM coming up uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, so we thought in light of that, let's, let's encourage them to do the right thing here. Um, and uh, so, so we kind of put some public pressure on them, um, just basically calling them out, showing the numbers for what they were and said, look, you know, switch to renewables by 2030 is, is, is what we were calling for. Um, and interestingly, the shareholders um, of AGL actually called for a very similar thing and called for much more action, um, which I think is a really interesting trend. I think it might be the first time it's actually happened in Australia. Um, it, I think it's a good, um, I suppose it's a, a very good sign for, for company policy, for private policy. In, in forward now that like climate goals are actually going to be a bit more in line with financial goals. And in fact, shareholders now are no longer going to cop it. They can see, mm. you, know, you don't really have to be a, a financial guru do you to see what's in the tea leaves here. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I'm certainly not one. Yeah. No, it's, isn't it just staggering though, that it's still seen to be a good investment having billions of dollars in stranded assets and still doing, just trying to extract all the money you can out of before you move on to renewables. It's yeah. I um, I suppose we're, like, we're, we're not that good at predicting the future. Like we all like to think that everything will stay roughly the same and, you know, we can have the same level of security about the future that our parents did. You know, I, I, I read a book once that highlighted just how s stable lives have been for, a, for the boomers. You know, people mm, like, oh God. You know, like people who are just doing like 50 and 80 now, they've just had such a good ride through the second half oh, of the century. Hate them, yeah. Oh, it makes me sick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe realize, yeah, it's been, been amazing for them. Good luck to them. But yeah, happy, you know, happy for you all. Happy, happy, happy for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have that. But yeah. Mm. No. And like the, the the talk that you know, um, oh, we'll, we'll keep our coal mines open till twenty forty or till twenty forty five, as though nothing is going to change in twenty four mm, years. Mm, mm. And I, I I don't know, maybe it just speaks to this kind of um, 
yeah, this this world in which they grew up in the last 50 years, which just has been fabulous. It's so stable. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Totally. That totally makes sense. I'd love to read that book, even though it'll just make me so mad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, of, of course, I can't remember the title right now. I'll, I'll trace it I'll up and give it to you. Yeah, I'll put the links in the podcast episode. <laughs> to get mad as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess from your perspective, how can people continue to look after their physical health in the best way in an ever-heating world while we try and get the systems in place to switch to renewables? Yeah, I think this is going to become a more and more pertinent question. In the short term, I think looking forward to this summer, which is really only a month or two away now, um, if you have underlying respiratory issues, asthma, emphysema, um, you should probably be careful and be ready to have a plan in place should there be some fires kick up, which there probably will, it's, you know, wherever you are around the country. Um, I think talking to your GP about having a plan in place um, prevention is better than a cure I think is a, is a really reliable adage of medicine and um, avoiding your exposure to smoke if there is um, if there is some in the air is better than treating the problems that arise if you're exposed to it um, but of course we all live our lives and, and there may be um, extra things you need to do so I think having a plan in place with your GPs is, is, the, is the way to go there for respiratory issues for heat waves, the, the risk tends to be if there's prolonged heat. So, you know, a day or two of 42 degrees is hot but doable. But if you end up having like four, five, six, seven days in a row of that, like Canada have just seen in July, um, that's when it starts to become deadly. Um, so I'd really recommend that if you, if you um, especially if you have any elderly parents, grandparents, friends um, that you think might be a risk of isolation. Um, that's going to be especially risky for them. And there's very easy things you can do there. Um, for example, if you're on blood pressure medication, that can do you favours, of course, for most months of your life. But if it happens to be a period of, of, of a heat wave and you're already a bit dehydrated, the combination of those things, blood pressure medications and dehydration can be enough to help uh, be, just be too much. You can topple over, have mm. falls. Um, and you kind of see a, a bit of a house of cards there. If you're already isolated as an elderly person in, in the hot weather, you're not going out, no one else is going out, and you're already um, dehydrated on your blood pressure medications, it can become a really dangerous time, and we'd see deaths um, every heat wave. So I think being mindful of those who might be vulnerable in heat waves is a really good place to start and will absolutely prevent deaths. Mm, yeah, and just little things that you wouldn't really think about because if, if you don't already have those kinds of medication, you wouldn't really think that, that could be such a fatal interplay. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm. And, of course, there are, you know, half of us are on blood pressure medications these days if, if you're over 40 and they do us a lot of favours um, in stroke prevention and things. Um, hence, they're very widely prescribed. Um, mm. But I suppose it's one of those one of those little complicating things that you 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 see as a doctor that you know that the most of the world just aren't privy to that that everything is linked and and yes. the problems of one thing can vary as they become problems of two things mm. really really fascinating i'm really glad you touched on that thank you so much 
So who's invited into Healthy Futures and how can people get involved? Yeah, oh, it'd be great to see some new faces. It's, um, <laughs> it, 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 it's a very fun group. It's very informal and like um, it's, it's any healthcare worker uh, anywhere in the country. Um, it's almost all volunteer run. Um, kind of uh, they'd like to say they run on the smell of an oily rag you know um, there's, there's not too much money that uh, is involved but um, there's a lot of just creative people going into it to to, to chip in with the you know um, whatever you know event we're running at, at that particular time that's been AGL recently as you touched on so very easy to find just if you just google healthy futures um, you'll find us there and you can kind of see uh, um, breakdowns of of what we've done in the past and, and some success we've had in our, in our campaigns. Um, yeah. And, and it's given it's so informal, I think it's, it's a very, um, very friendly and please don't feel pressure to bring anything in particular to the table. Um, you don't have to have been involved in climate activism. I certainly don't consider myself a, a very radical person. Um, I'm not training myself to any trees. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, beautiful. What would you like to, I mean, say anything else or? Um, thanks for having me on. I, it's nice just to talk about it, really. Um, I suppose as a, as a, perhaps a final point, one of the really unexpected bonuses of doing even something little in climate change activism has been that I've just noticed that I don't really feel that anxious about it anymore. Uh, which is not something I expected, but it's been really nice. I suppose it's it's almost just like I've, I've unconsciously given myself permission to not feel anxious about it because I feel mm. like, well, I'm, I'm doing a little bit. Um, so I think that actually adds to my quality of life quite a lot day to day. I, I, I now feel like I, I can just take it easy on the climate anxiety stuff that so many of us feel especially younger folk um so you don't you can do i mean you can get involved in the space for any reason but it, you absolutely can do it for selfish reasons if you just want to feel a little bit less anxious i can speak from personal experience here that <laughs> you, you get that extra bonus benefit yeah i second that for sure yeah well thank you so much for your time today peter We've been speaking to Peter Nightingale, doctor and climate activist from Healthy Futures. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Awesome. Thanks, Carly.
My guest today is Annabelle Warren. Annabelle is an endocrinology fellow and PhD candidate living and working in Melbourne. She's also a Healthy Futures volunteer, which is how I got into contact with her. Hi, Annabelle. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Great to be here. Firstly, can you let our listeners know about Healthy Futures? You know, how did you become to be a volunteer with them? Fantastic. Um, so Healthy Futures is an organisation of healthcare professionals from all disciplines, so nursing, psychology, medicine, etc., who are working to promote uh, climate action, essentially. Um, so it started out in 2015 with a group of health professionals who are really keen on uh, advocating to the big health super funds to divest from coal. And after a big campaign with you know, 800 letters, media attention, in just last year, they managed to get the big uh, super funds HESTA and AWARE that service a lot of hospital staff to commit to divesting away from coal, which was really exciting. Um, and so now they are turning their attention to Australia's biggest polluter, which is AGL, the electricity company, um, who produces more greenhouse gas emissions than any other company, including airlines, miners, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and so we're looking to really put the pressure on them to make some firm commitments to get out of coal. Uh, so in terms of where I fit in, I guess, which is probably I've answered your question in reverse. Um, uh, so I am a medical doctor. I work in endocrinology, which is not uh, which is hormones, diabetes, and that's not uh, necessarily something that you immediately connect to climate. But I think, like so many of us in the in my broader experience, um, you know, we've seen terrible fires, terrible um, flooding you know, increasing heat waves and all of this has such a profound impact on health. And it, and I was finding in my own life that I felt so passionate. I was making so many changes, you know, got some, got some, finally was able to get a house. I got some solar panels. I was, um, you know, you know, reducing meat in my diet, you know, going for active transport or electric transport. But I still felt so powerless um, in the face of this big challenge. And so uh, what's really helped you is finding like-minded people who are um, other health professionals. But I think a lot of professions in general, there'll be groups of, of people who are really interested in, in climate and the community in general, um, things like Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace. And so to be able, and, and there really is, um, you know, a significant genuine connection between uh, changing climate and our health. So not only is that in relation to sort of heat waves and global warming as we originally, or was originally termed, um, and in fact, a colleague of mine at the hospital where I work has run the numbers in our emergency department um, and they looked at 800,000 uh, presentations to ED over 20 years and this is uh, Dr. Paul Yates, and they correlate it with data from uh, Bureau of Meteorology, everyone's favourite, to look at uh, sort of the connections with heat waves. And so the odds of extreme heat events day and night increased by 10% over that time, and this is Melbourne data. And interestingly, when they looked at 
presentations to the emergency department, there was an increase of about 10 to 15 presentations on and every occasion when that occurred, on when a heat wave occurred. So this is wow. here, now here in Melbourne hospitals where I work, we're seeing increased presentations to the emergency department because of heat stress, um, particularly in older people over 65. And that's just one part of the puzzle um, in terms of the impacts of health uh, on health. There's the air quality concerns from burning coal that, um, that contributes to, I think, 800 excess deaths a year in, in Australia, and particularly in areas like the, the Trobe and Hunter Valleys with big coal-fired power production. Um, and then not to mention, you know, extreme weather events as we've seen with the fires and, and floods and then potentially increased vector-borne disease and, you know, mosquitoes are found further down, malaria, good old COVID potentially, people encroaching on wilderness and coming into contact with pathogens they haven't encountered before. So, you know, the climate crisis is a health crisis and, uh, and that's been recognised by big medical journals like The Lancet um, and, and medical societies. So... And with COVID, um, and you know, I'm potentially about to be redeployed to COVID, so watch this space. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, we've really seen that health professionals have enjoyed um, a lot of respect and um, and really, you know, shown that we have the community's interests at heart. Um, and you know, I feel a responsibility to use that voice for good and to educate people about how climate is really a health problem, which sometimes can hit home for people who don't otherwise connect with that in the environment as an issue. Absolutely. Some of those numbers are fascinating in a really, you know, um, dark way, in a really serious way, specifically in your speciality. Mm -hmm. um, as an endocrinologist, what exactly are some of the most pressing issues for health and climate impacts? Mm. Well, the um, so I think there's been a. I look at help to look after diabetes as one of the areas, and so um, one there's sort of a lot of more broader societal things that can impact on diabetes risk. Obviously, there's type one diabetes, which is autoimmune, and that's uh, but the, you know that's probably less likely to be impacted. But um, but type two diabetes can be associated with a sort of more lifestyle factors. So hot days, really cold days, it's much harder to be active. And, you know, if you're, if you're car bound, it's hard to get that incidental exercise. There's a lot, a whole much, there's very broad sort of, um, you know, environmental determinants of health, not purely related to the climate, but in terms of how accessible fruit and vegetables are, how secure your work is and how, able you are to exercise outside of your working hours and so many you know really broad-based factors that can contribute to your longer-term health risk and including risks of diabetes and later down the track heart attack stroke etc to sort of extrapolate so that's one factor in terms of you know livable cities and livable conditions that help you to live a healthy life so to speak which for some people can reduce their risk of chronic disease um, you know, chronic inflammation and air pollution can also 
impact potentially metabolic conditions, um, the more direct impacts in terms of lung disease and um, and so forth. But uh, and then another aspect of endocrinology would be that's not necessarily immediately climate related, but um, is sort of potential for endocrine disrupting hormones or um, in terms of plastics and those kinds of things. A lot is not well understood. Um, and without being speculative, I'm no expert in this area um, because it's sort of a lot of the data is preclinical or epidemiological and not um, directly related to patient care, which is where I work. Um, but it's certainly a concern that there are, you know, direct endocrine impacts. Um, but it's probably not the, it's not the easy headline issue in the way that asthma um, and, and heat stress in older people are, are very easy to connect to climate change directly. Mm, so almost, um, we don't really know the impacts because the data is still kind of being uncovered. Yeah, it's a real shame that, you know, unfortunately we are seeing the impacts of climate change now um, when there's so much has been known and you know potential opportunities to avert it may have been missed but you know it sort of has taken that to build a movement of you know real engagement to make the, the tough decisions as some people think they are to move away from fossil fuels um, and uh, and to so, you know, we, it is what it is. Um, and, but that does mean that, you know, the true impacts are only just being realised as we start to see the impacts. But we do know that there is, you know, some potential uh, poor outcomes and that the best treatment of all will be prevention rather than cure. So anything we can do to keep warming uh, at or below 1.5 degrees would be very nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, second that. Um, when did you first start getting engaged or when did you first start getting worried about climate change? Um, it was actually when I was at high school, um, which was uh, sort of was like around 2006. It was an inconvenient truth with Al Gore and there was a book by Tim Flannery called The Weathermakers, which I read as well. Um, and I did a high school civics project about switching the school to renewable energy, and they said no. <laughs> I think, but I mean, it just shows how much progress there's been. Um, yeah. Because I think all hospitals and schools, there, there's a commitment for renewable power by, I don't, I'm not abreast of the cutoff date, but you know, this, even though I was discouraged and it didn't happen, it's now been committed to. So, mm. What was initially a pessimistic story is hopefully, um, you know, a story of, of progress. Um, so I was, yeah, I was really, um, you know, really inspired, but ultimately it was a little bit disheartened by that. And so I sort of kept going to, some, you know, the occasional climate march and tried to, but, uh, you know, I was also sort of wrapped up in my studies and, uh, you know, it's, it's so, but more recently, things like the 2019 bushfires and um, and more uh, clear escalation, and then really the global growing movements um, really sort of renewed inspiration. So, and then this year 
having started my PhD, I've been a little bit more flexible with my time um, compared to full-time plus uh, hospital work. So um, I took the opportunity to join Healthy Futures um, and to uh, commit a bit more of my time to their great work and, and be able to, because, you know, with a bit more time to think came a bit more time to, <laughs> to spare. Um, and ultimately I had was able to make so many changes in my own life, but I'm only one person. Um, and the best way to actually have a broader impact is to, to magnify that um, and, and to talk about it and to join up with like-minded uh, colleagues. I was going to ask, has it been nice connecting to people in your profession who feel the same way and really value the natural world and preserving health and championing that in different ways? Mm. Yeah, that's been a really unexpected bonus, um, although probably quite foreseeable. So I don't know why it was unexpected. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, I, and not only meeting new people um, from, from a similar field who thought really similarly about these issues, which was, and had, you know, done a lot about it, which is really inspiring. But the more I had the opportunity to talk about it with existing colleagues, you know, the more people I realised were also really enthusiastic. Um, and so uh, there, for example, at my hospital, there was a, a climate crisis themed grand round, which is a sort of hospital-wide presentation and so I put my hand up I was like oh can I mention the Healthy Futures campaign and they're like sure talk and you know hundreds of people were so engaged it was obviously a committed audience and that was building off the back of the interest and work of the people who'd arranged that session but um, but people were just crying out and to do something and I was amazed that that in the, within this hospital network there was just so many passionate people. And then even within my own unit, um, mentioning the petition that was being run was a really positive response. So that's the main thing I'd um, like, even if I'd often kept my work, my personal life, my work life quite separate, but, um, but talking about this thing that I was really passionate about really helped me connect on a deeper level with a lot of people in a work context, because it's a, pretty mainstream concern these days um we all love to live um, yeah. <laughs> live on kind of invested that. in it don't want to yeah. <laughs> yeah into it yeah 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 <laughs> not just professionally but also yeah. Personally. personally yeah yeah oh that's great um so I guess for people who might be really concerned and kind of you know drawing the link between the climate crisis and their health mm -hmm. as an endocrinologist what would you recommend people do stay away from uh, do more of okay well I guess there's there's two aspects to sort of um you know climate action as I see it um there's what you can do in your own life as an individual um and that that's you know within the constraints of your circumstances and you know there's no need to beat yourself up either way um and then there's what you can do more broadly in a political and uh activism type space so within your personal life, I'm sure you have a very educated audience um, and maybe this is overkill or rehashing things that you've talked about. But um, Might not be, so please give it a go. Oh, give it a crack. Give it a crack. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, 
so I think there's yes I'm I'm no expert in terms of uh, personal climate impact, but I am definitely an amateur enthusiast and have done what get, gathered what information I can. Um, so uh, renewable energy is really important, and so you know if you're in if you're in control of an electricity bill and ticking the renewable energy box or choosing a different provider can be really impactful. If you're in a position to have solar panels, that's wonderful. You can make, make your own renewable energy, but that's obviously a huge barrier in terms of like house ownership, et cetera. There are schemes for renters to, uh, to look to, uh, depending on if you've got a uh, kind, engaged landlord, but there are um, there are schemes where rental properties can be fitted with solar panels, and there might be an agreement between the landlord and the renters in terms of you know how the profits from the panels are split versus the savings, so that it could be mutually beneficial. Um, but again, not necessarily the easiest. Uh, reducing car use is always helpful um, and, you know, it'd be fantastic if we can get better uptake of electric cars. At the moment, they're, you know, not financially accessible for many people um, and improving policy will assist that. Um, but you can get secondhand electric cars, um, including lots of Japanese imports of Nissan Leafs, for example, which can be sort of maybe two thirds of the cost of a new one. So that's a slightly more accessible version, but there's also electric bikes, which I hear are fantastic. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, walking with your feet, if you can, that's always nice, but all, but I guess, and then also like reducing meat intake and dairy, et cetera. And, you know, everyone's at different stages along that journey. Um, but uh, in any of these aspects, you know, if there are barriers that are insurmountable, you don't need to beat yourself up about it. And because while our society is a collection of individuals and so every, if every single person decides to, you know, make a great choice, then that's fantastic and that, that will have impact. And if they're talking about electrifying houses, you know, getting off gas, um, switching gas heaters for split systems and gas hot water systems or resistive electric hot water systems for heat pump hot water systems. There's a lot of government incentives. So all of that does make a difference where you're able. But if you can't do that, don't, you know, spiral out because you still have a very impactful voice um, and, you know, you've got to do what you do to live your life. Don't beat yourself up about it. And, Instead, you can just advocate for policy changes that help make things more accessible and easy for everyone, including you. Um, things like, um, you know, hot water upgrades that are government funded, which, which are accessible at the moment and improving electrification of buses. I think they've just announced some, some electric buses. That's always nice. More please. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, all of us as citizens can, you know, harass our... Uh, or, you know, not that's poor choice of words, nicely email um, our elected representatives, um, you know, an email from me or from, well, maybe not a very influential person, probably is more influential, but, you know, 
each of us has an email address and the email arrives in the same place. So it's uh, still impactful. I think I've uh, rambled a bit there, but anyway, <laughs> we'll roll with it. No, beautiful. Is there anything else you'd like to add or you'd like to say about health and the climate crisis? Well, I think that um, join with connecting with people and joining an organisation has been really helpful for me in managing my own, uh, you know, potential pessimism about the situation and really, um, you know, channeling my energy towards impactful change and, and hope, um, which is which is what it's all about. Um, so I would encourage anyone if they're in the health adjacent field to look up healthy futures um, and get involved with running this campaign about um, which is also being run by a number of other organizations about encouraging AGL our biggest polluter to switch off coal fired power before 2030 to um, bring it to line with uh, the goals of the Paris Agreement to keep warming at a reasonable level and Recently, AGL had an uh, a annual general meeting where there was a very impactful resolution passed on the back of public pressure, including from Healthy Futures and other groups. And 55% of their shareholders supported a climate resolution, which is a, an investor revolt, um, basically. Um, and even though the board has really been dragging their heels on decarbonising their electricity production. I think AGL accounts for 8% of Australia's emissions, just all on their own. They And even though they have been like, oh, well, we'll just cash in on coal, who cares? We've got great jobs. The That's not going to help us live in the future, um, just to summarise. Um, and so even though this um, shareholder resolution is non-binding, it's a really powerful signal and it has a psychological impact on the board members to influence them towards pushing for renewable energy and ensuring that it's a just transition for those coal workers um, into, um, you know, fantastic renewable jobs with offshore wind or other opportunities that will be built in similar areas to take advantage of the electricity infrastructure that's already there. It's, uh, it's what needs to happen. And, and we, if government isn't leading that at the moment, then perhaps industry can, or we can drag them all kicking and screaming. Yep, definitely. Thank you so much for adding that. Look, thank you so much for your time today, Annabelle. We've been speaking to Annabelle Warren, endocrinologist and climate activist from Healthy Futures, being less than two degrees. Excitingly, Australia now has the most solar power per capita in the world, nearly one kilowatt per person after a smashing year of uptake in 2020. Love to see that. A push to power schools with solar and battery storage is underway across Australia in Perth and New South Wales. Australia's oldest open pit coal mine, Muswell Brook in New South Wales, is to be transformed into a major renewables hub in plans unveiled by a Japanese company, Itamitsu. In New South Wales, 28 different sites have been put forward for potential pumped hydro projects in an overwhelming response to the government's grants program. But as we know, people with the power to make changes we need aren't acting fast enough because they just don't want to. 
they're actively holding us back. As we saw the world gather at COP26 in Glasgow, Australia has once again shown it as a climate laggard. The government refused, straight out refused, to join 40 nations pledging to phase out call at COP26, saying it won't wipe out industries, which paradoxically their stance on climate will wipe out many industries such as tourism. The government bowed out of an international pledge to reduce methane emissions, the second biggest contributor to global warming. They even featured fossil fuel company Santos front and centre at the pavilion in a move which has been widely criticised. The federal government's quote-unquote plan to reach net zero by 2050 relies heavily on unnamed further technological breakthroughs in what the Australian Institute has dubbed a fraud. The plan claims that up to 100 million tonnes of carbon could be offset through soil carbon sequestration, a commercially unproven practice. It's all wishful thinking, basically. And former UN chief Cristiana Figueres has decried Australia's climate policy as irresponsible and suicidal. The coalition sought to block independent MP Zali Stegall's climate change bill from being debated, a bill that would legislate the government's net zero emissions by 2050. But all around the world, people from all walks of life are building a movement and saying no. The Torres Strait Islanders Paul and Pabai are suing the Commonwealth, arguing it has breached its duty of care by failing to prevent climate change. Five young Australians have lodged human rights complaints with the UN over federal government 2030 emission targets. Pope Francis has urged leaders to take radical action on climate change at COP26 summit and offer concrete hope to future generations. An Italian newspaper is pressuring Australia on climate with a full-page ad picturing Scott Morrison in Parliament alongside a lump of coal. Young climate activists have ended their hunger strike outside of the White House after 14 days after Biden pledged to cut emissions in half by 2030. I do need everyone, so here's what you can do to join them. Stand up. Call for the Australian government to cut emissions this decade by signing the Climate Council's petition. Reach out. Join a climate group. And if you can't join a climate group, move your money. Divest from institutions that are investing your money in fossil fuels and the climate crisis. Get informed. Join the People's Climate Summit for Climate Justice and start connecting, start learning what you can do in your life with whatever time you have available. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? Thank you for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Thanks, Carly. Pleasure being here.